Welcome back to the On The Brink podcast. I am here with a very special guest today. This is someone who I work with. I'm not going to disclose too many details of that, um, but you all know I have a lot of jobs, so um, so who knows uh, where this person works with me from, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited to have her on. Um, we've become closer over the few years that we've been working together, and honestly, it's just like such a blessing to to go to work and and have her there especially during covid so i'm just really excited to have her on today um we've talked about having her on the podcast for a while and um and we decided that we would cover a couple different topics the one that i really want to cover is mental health so we're definitely going to dive into mental health but Lizzie, which is her name, um, I haven't said that yet, um, Lizzie is also adopted. So we're going to chat a little bit about that and her path, um, how that has changed maybe from being adopted or not, and and the struggles of mental health that we all have in our 20s. And it's something, I know it's a little bit of a sensitive subject, so I just want to put a disclaimer out from the get-go that I am not a professional. Lizzie is not a professional. Um, we are literally just people that have our own personal struggles with mental health. And we're just here to shed some light on that and maybe make the subject a little more approachable. Um, there's a lot of stigmas that surround mental health and we're going to dive into those. I'm not going to hold back. We're going to jump right in. So that's what we're here to do today. And I'm again, like I said, I'm really excited to have Lizzie on. So welcome to the pod, Lizzie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I can't, I'm so happy to work with you too. Like rolling up to the job at 8 a.m. Me always a couple minutes, you know, we got to be, we, we usually have to be there like half an hour to 15 minutes, the first shift that we do, but the second shift we can fudge it a little bit. And I always roll up five minutes before the shift and Emily's always like super chill about it. So I'm grateful for that. <laughs> So yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about mental health. Just like Emily said, neither of us are professionals. I am just that weird person who knows way too much about things I should probably not know about. That includes astrology and mental health. That's literally it. I know way too much about astrology for someone in their 20s. Don't ask. I don't know how it happened. But same thing for, well, I kind of grew up around mental health with my with my older sister and just family in general. So that's kind of how I know a lot about it because my mom is the kind of person who does her research to a fault. And, you know, because I was always around it, I was able to kind of figure out the different kinds of mental health. And as I got older and started to learn about it and saw a lot in myself and my friends, I was kind of able to do my own research and figure it out. Oh, that's great. It's good to be knowledgeable about these things. Like I don't know nearly enough. And that's why I enlisted you to come on to this episode because I don't know enough. Um, and I've tried to educate myself uh, through the years and just make sure that I, I'm not just completely oblivious to a lot of things. But um, but it'll be great chatting with you about all of this. So before we jump into mental health, I do want you to share a little bit about your story, whatever you're comfortable with, of course, um, about being adopted and, and how that has shaped your life and and just a little bit about that whole crazy story because I know 
it's been a lot. It's wild. So fasten your seatbelts, everybody. This is like something straight out of a Lifetime movie. So um, I was adopted at five weeks old. I always knew I was adopted. My parents didn't believe in lying to children because A, children will find out. And my mom didn't want to create this like rift between us. It's like, you know, you were adopted, but we still accept you. Like, don't even worry about it. My sister's adopted, which is really funny because both of us look very much alike. Emily, you've met my sister once. Like we look pretty much identical. I thought maybe you were biological siblings. Yeah. Everyone says that even growing up, but actually completely different set of genes. You know, my birth mom is a little bit older than hers. So, yeah, so I always knew I was adopted. It was never a question. I never felt like I didn't belong until later on, but we'll we'll get into that. So my birth mom had me at, oh gosh, this is such like a wild story that it's hard for me to start. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. So my mom was in college. I think she was a sophomore in college and she was um, dating this guy. We'll call him Fred for now because I'm not going to expose everybody. So she was dating Fred for like, Oh my gosh, a good two, three years, and they were engaged. They were getting, they were gonna get a house, but because they were so focused on their careers, they decided they couldn't have a baby. So she put me up for adoption, and she kind of said that, you know, Fred was like a little uncomfortable with it. He didn't want anything to do with me. It was like a, you know, even on the forms, you can see that he did not take his time filling it out because when you get adopted, you have to fill out these medical forms you know, from both sides of the family, like every medical issue that has ever happened ever. So that way the parents can like look at it. And if something goes wrong, they're able to see where it goes from. So he just wrote that everybody died of old age. And I was like, okay, it is what it is. And my birth mom and I had contact because it was something called like a semi-open adoption. So there's open adoption where, um, I knew a professor in college who had an open adoption with his kids. Um, well, his kids were adopted. He wasn't, but um, they do Sundays with their birth mom and they'd go for parks and, you know, that's an open adoption. A closed adoption is what, which is funny. My mom remarried right after I was born and he was also adopted and he had a closed adoption. They just took him up, handed him to his new parents. He has n- to this day, he has no idea who his parents are. He will never know. So that's kind of a bummer, but yeah, so I had a semi-open adoption. She couldn't know. She knew my first name. She knew my parents' first name. She actually met my parents. She interviewed them before she picked them to be my parents. It's kind of like shopping, but you know, she, yeah, so she had me in the hospital. She was going back and forth, but then she finally made the ultimate decision to give me to my parents. And then, so my official and my family, we celebrate our coming home days. So mine is actually coming up. It's March 26th. So I was born February 19th. March 26th was the first day I went home and I was legally adopted on Christmas Eve of 97. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Um, yeah. So the judge, the judge likes to do that with, um, families. Cause it's like, you have a new baby for Christmas. So I, I always thought that was really, really sweet. So yeah. So, um, Fred and my mom, broke up end of story and me and my mom would write letters every every few years sometimes so my parents would include their own letter just kind of updating and sometimes you know because I'd be really little um I wouldn't really know what to say so I just write my own cute little letters and yeah so that was the only contact we had 
And as I got older, it was a question of, do I want to meet my mom or do I want to just stay? Do I want to meet my mom? Do I just want to stay? So eventually I had a therapist in high school who really just pushed me. He was like, this is where you come from. He, he specialized in adoption. So he was used to this all the time. So my freshman year of college, I called the adoption agency and I said, can you please contact my mom? Because we had to do everything through the agency. So all the letters we sent went to the agency and from the agency, they went to my mom. So there was always a middleman. So I called them and I was like, I want my mom's contact information. So they said, okay. And two days later, I got a phone call and they're like, your mom, um, here's her cell phone number. And I remember I was walking to class and I was like, if I don't do it now, I won't get it over with. I ended up skipping class that day and I called her and she picked up and she was crying. And we, it took a few months for us to, to meet because she was so nervous. And we met sometime in January. It's been like six years. I want to say now five or six years. And we just, I always call her my bigger me because I look um, before I had surgery a few years ago, I looked identical to her, like beyond identical. And there was no doubt about it that she was my mom. No doubt. Like I'm the same size as her. I'm the same. We have the same nose. I have the same eyes, everything else. And I asked about Fred. I asked about my dad and she was like, oh, he doesn't really want anything to do with you. And I was like, okay, like that's, it is what it is. Like I have, you now. I have my stepdad and I have my three younger sisters or siblings. I don't, I only have one younger sister and two younger brothers. So, you know, I have them, I have this family. This is great. This is fine. And it wasn't until a few, I want to say last year where things between me and my mom were just really just not clicking. Things were off. And I ended up hanging out with my grandparents, my birth grandparents and we went to a graduation party for my mom's best friend's um, son. And I had never really been allowed to hang out with her. It was just like, oh, we're not really friends. We're on again, off again friends. Like, you can't really trust her. So don't hang out with her. So I was like, okay, you know, I respect you. I respect your friends. It is what it is. So um, my mom didn't go to this party. I don't remember why. She just wasn't there. I think she was working or something. And um, I, the, my mom's friend came up to me and she was like, when's your birthday? And I said, February 19th, 97. She was like, oh, your mom had uh, left school by then. She had just dropped out because it just wasn't for her, which is fine. She would just went into the workforce and became a stay at home mom. And to my, to my sister, we're 22 months apart. So, um, almost two years, but not quite. So she, after my sister was born, um, after I was born, actually, she just decided not, to, or right before this, it's so difficult because there's so many like cover-ups, but she had dropped out of school right before I was born. So when she found out she was pregnant, she dropped out because she wasn't sure what she was going to do. If she was going to keep me or give me up, mm. et cetera, et cetera. So flash forward to 2019 and I'm at this party and no, it was 2018, either 2018 or 2019. Honestly, it's years are, years are a blur at this point. <laughs> For real, after 2020, I don't remember anything. It's another dimension. But so I'm at this party and she was like, oh, your mom was home by then. You know, there's no way that Fred could be your father. And I was like, okay, that's a little weird. She was like, I suggest you do Ancestry.com or 23andMe and, you know, kind of figure the situation out. And at first I was like, you know, like I trust my mom. I'm not going to, you know, go against her and say, you know, that Fred's not my dad. I'm not going to go ahead and do that. So, but 
curiosity got the best of me and I got ancestry.com and it said I had an aunt. And I was like, I don't know anybody with this last name, you know, even on my mom's side or, you know, Fred's side, I have no idea. So I was like, okay, a little odd, but okay. So I messaged her. I was like, hi, do you know Fred or do you know my mom? I listened to my mom's name. You know, I'm trying to find out who my dad is. Um, I'm trying to get in contact with him. Did you find and her on Facebook? Um, so you can message people on 23andMe. Oh. Or no, Ancestry.com. So you can actually message people if for relatives. So for her to for her to have shown up, she did one of those tests. Yeah. So that- and then you did a test and it pops up because you guys have both done tests. So I guess like as many family members as have done tests would show up. Yep. So I got Okay, an- crazy. Just want to clarify. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> so um even to this day I get emails from 23andMe saying that, oh, you have a new relative on Ancestry, 23andMe. And so the I messaged me back and she was like, um, I don't think that's true. Like I don't know anybody with that name. Um I'm really sorry. Good luck. So I texted my mom's friend and I was like, I matched with this person as my aunt. Um, I don't really know what this means. Do you know them? And she was like, I know who your dad is and it's not Fred. And I was like, okay. She's like, let me go see your mom. You know, I'm going to try and like coax it out of her. I think I know. So I waited a few days and she was like, okay, your dad is, we'll call him Oh my gosh, I can't even think of a generic name, but we'll call him X, Y, and Z. I don't even know. So she was like, yep, this guy's your dad. So I found him on Facebook. Our one mutual friend was my mom. And I messaged him and I was like, hey, this is going to sound absolutely whack, but here's my birthday. I know you were friends with my mom in high school. Um, I don't know if this is possible or not. But I'm. I think I'm your daughter. If you, I was adopted. If you want to talk to my adoptive mom, here's because my mom was super supportive about me going and finding my dad. And I was like, here's my mom's number. Call her anytime. You don't have to talk to me. You know, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Talk to her. And I guess he called her the next day, and he was like in tears. He's like, I didn't know. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I would have had a say. So it took him like a little bit. And he messaged me every now and then, you know, we talked on the phone and then like three or four months later, he finally was like, I'm ready to meet you. And I was like, okay. And we ended up going to the Holyoke mall before the pandemic. You know, that's so weird to say. Um, and we had well, this, this was a while ago. Yeah. This was almost uh, two years ago. I want to say. So yeah, it was 2019. So we ended up going to the Holyoke mall. And we were at the 110 Grill. It's so good. Oh, my gosh. I love it there. And we were there until almost closing. They had to kick us out. And he's awesome. I love my dad. He's very much like me. And, you know, after meeting him, I realized I looked exactly like him. I'm a perfect combination of both my parents. But it was really cool to, like, see where I came from. And um, hopefully I'm seeing my mom soon. I haven't been able to see her very much because of the pandemic. But she got, like a very small apartment. So it'd be nice to just kind of go outside and chill when the weather gets warmer. So it was a nice day out today. So I'll have to find another day like this to maybe go for a walk and see her. But yeah, um, that's kind of my little adoption story. Oh, I didn't, I missed the whole point. I missed the whole point of this. So after I had messaged him and he had called my mom, he was like, we should do a DNA test. 
And I was like, okay, so we ordered one of those court or court certified DNA tests. And he was like, I also have 23 and me. And I was like, okay, like I can do both. So we both did, we both did the court test and then we did the um 23 and me. So 23 and me came back first and it said 50 or 49.99% shared DNA. And it listed him right away as my father. And then the DNA test came back two days later and it said 99.9% positive. And I was just thinking to myself, if I had done 23andMe first rather than Ancestry.com, that would have just blown everything out of proportion. Like, that's crazy. So I'm happy about the way it kind of happened, but it's basically a lifetime movie. Um, Yeah, that's really crazy. Um, And the fact that you are in touch with your biological parents now, like, what's the relationship like with, I know you said you're still in in touch with them, but like, was your mom, like that first time that you met in person, because I know you said you called her first, Mm -hmm. but then that first time that you met in person, like, how did that how did that all go? And like, same with your, you said your dad, you ended up having like a great, a great lunch or dinner, but, but like, and then how is that uh, relationship going now from where it started to now? So my dad and I are actually closer than me and my mom. Cause my mom has like, she, she's in her own little world all the time. So she's, and she lives kind of far. They both live far away. They're both actually towards, towards you a little bit more. They're on the Northampton Hadley kind of situation. But my mom and I kind of grew apart, especially after I found out that she lied to me about who my dad was. I had like a lot of issues, a lot of mental health stuff, which we'll get to later, that I was like, I really just don't want that negative energy. But the first time I met my mom was a lot of tears, a lot of tears, a lot of crying. And she, it was like coming home for the first time. It was like being away from home. Like if you go on a trip or something and then you come home and it's like the first thing you want to do is shower because no, no shower is like your own shower. So it was kind of like that. Like no mom is like my mom. So it was like really kind of nice to just have that feeling of completeness, even though like I love my parents, you know, they've taken care of me my whole life. This was a different kind of like little hole that can be filled. And my dad and I are pretty close. I saw him, Uh, I dropped off a present for him Christmas Eve. That was the last time I saw him, but I haven't seen him much because of the pandemic, but he works, he has his own store. So I just kind of went outside, handed him the present. We talked for a couple hours and usually we do like bi-weekly phone calls where he just calls and he checks in, but it's like, it's still a little awkward because it's, he didn't know. Like my mom got to watch me grow up through letters. He had no idea. So I kind of feel bad because it's like, how do I, how does he interact with a 24 year old girl who's his daughter that he has no idea existed um, until she was 22? So, yeah. Right. That's so crazy. Um, And like amazing that he, you know, wants to be in your life and be in contact with you because he could have just been like, no, it's not true. No, I don't want to do the DNA tests. Like, no, like he could have just been like very against it from the start. Right. And it's funny because his brother, my uncle, went through a similar situation and he straight up was like, no. Nah. And so I don't talk to that uncle and he doesn't talk to his brother anymore because of that, especially now that he's been through the same situation. And he's like, how can you not like how can you not like obviously I don't know the situation as well as my own but it's he still was like I will still try and be like a father to her as much as I can 
And, you know, he'll text me some things and he'll be like, Hey, you didn't call me. You're grounded. And I'm like, okay, like I'm a, I'm 24, but good try. (laughs) Oh man. So there's so many questions that I have for you about the situation, but we have limited time and we do want to move on to mental health as well, which is a huge topic. Um, But my last question, like regarding your adoption is, you know, do you regret, not regret, I don't want to use that word, but looking back now, are you glad that you reached out to your birth mom when you did? Or do you, um, I mean, obviously it's, it's been nice having that relationship for you with both your birth mom and birth dad. But, um, you know, you said you were in college at the time. So how was that? Like trying to navigate all this new family, basically just coming into your life. Honestly, and plus we'll get into mental health stuff. It really messed me up mentally. And I was already in a tough mental situation and it just brought everything from like level 100 to like zero. And it was hard for me to get through school again because it was like my whole identity got shaken. You know, like you have your core values that you learn from your parents, right? And then you meet somebody who's actually your parents and they're very different from where you are. So it's kind of like, well, what, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm not like that. I should be like that. So it really just kind of shook me to my core and really just, I had a hard time in school after that. I was always a straight A student until I got to college. And then I was BCs, you know, especially after I met my mom. And I honestly, you know, my adoptive mom has was telling me, wait until after college, wait until after college. But curiosity got better of me. And if I could go back, I wouldn't not meet her. I would wait until after college. I would wait until I was a little bit more mentally sound because your 20s are a horrible time for your mental health. This is when all, that was a good segue, but that's when all of it comes out because when you're a teenager, you have all these hormones. So it's like, it looks like this, but it's actually not. It looks like this mental illness, but it's actually just hormones. But by the time you're like 18, 20, all of that hopefully calmed down. And it's like, there are no underlying issues or it's like, hold on, there's a lot. And that's what happened with me. So I was dealing with the drop in hormones to then meeting my mom. And it's kind of like rattled my brain, but I would wait a little bit. If I could do it again, I would just wait maybe a few years, but I wouldn't, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you did you did gr- give a great segue to mental health, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and we do want to talk about it. And we want to talk about the different types of mental illness that are out there. And, and kind of, you know, like you said, like the 20s are a time that you might be finding out that you have certain mental illness that you maybe didn't know that you had. It might be coming out at that point you know, of your life. And I can't personally relate to that. Um, I have anxiety about things, but I don't have any like specific mental illness, thank goodness, at least right now. Um, but there are so many stigmas that exist around it. And and it shouldn't be this like uh, thing that we don't ever talk about and we just kind of brush aside or, you know, like try to pretend it doesn't exist. Like it, it it does. It exists um, around us, everywhere. People, friends of yours, like listeners, talking to you, not you, Lizzie, um, but listeners, you all, you probably either have mental illness or know someone that does um, or have a friend that hasn't, hasn't told you. I mean, there's like, it's out there. It's, it's very prevalent. 
So we want to talk about it. And um, I guess the, we'll just dive right in. And the first thing I want to talk about is um, what are some mental health stigmas that exist and that you might have personally encountered? So the first two are actually things that I actually have. So the first one's bipolar. So when people hear bipolar, there's a, the room goes silent and everyone cringes because it's like, uh-oh, you're an exploding time bomb. And there's two, in my personal experience, there's two different kinds of bipolar. There's, and I hate to use this, there's the crazy kind and then there's the high functioning kind. I'm a high functioning bipolar. I go to work, I go to my job, I do what I have to do. I have to go through school, but on my down days, it's bad. It's just, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything. I'm just really depressed. I just don't want to move. And the difference between that and regular depression is that my highs my, they're called manic episodes. My manic episodes, I'll clean these, this entire apartment top to bottom. I will do projects for school that aren't due for months. I will get everything done. And it's like zero to 100. But when he, people hear bipolar, they think crazy abusive. They think mean. They think awful. And that's why I said there's two different kinds. There's the low-functioning one. And those people tend to have a little bit more anger. When instead of depressed, they have more angry episodes, more meanness. That's just what I've like read about. And for me, like I'll take the I'll take the sad. I'll take the throwing chocolates at the TV, like Reese Witherspoon in Legally Blonde. Like I'll take that any day over feeling angry. So there's that kind of stigma. And then there's something called personality disorders, and there's something called borderline personality disorder. And that is the most stigmatized mental illness out there is personality disorders. There are some therapists out there that if you have the diagnosis, they won't help you. They will refuse to help you because it's quote unquote uncurable. And that's not really true. So borderline personality disorder comes from a severe trauma that happens before you're able to talk or severe abandonment. For me, my trauma, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's weird to think that one little thing you can do can affect the rest of your life. So when I was born, my mom was not supposed to keep me in the hospital. You're not supposed to bond with the baby. You're supposed to give it to, you know, it's mom, forever mom, right away. My mom kept me in the hospital for four days because she couldn't make a decision. And that's key bonding time. So this little baby me ripped away from its mother, Dumbo, all over again. And then, so then I got home to my forever parents and everything was good. Everything was fine. I was a happy, for the most part, a happy baby. And then my grandparents started watching us, you know, my mom's mom. And I got really, really close with my grandfather. He would talk to me every day. I would talk to him. We were inseparable. I ate all of my meals with him. Um, 18 days before I turned two, he died. And I had nobody to talk to. This happy baby toddler going from talking to the same person every day, eating my meals with him to nothing. And two-year-olds don't know death. So for me, it's like a, why did he leave? Why, why isn't Pa, I used to call him Pa. Why isn't Pa coming back? And I'd stand at the door and I would wait and wait for hours until he'd come back. But he never did. So that's what like my therapist says is my trauma, which is like weird to think about because I always thought it was rooted in my adoption, you know, because that that would make the most logical sense. A baby's adopted, mm -hmm. ripped away from its mother. But instead, it was my grandfather going from talking to me every day to disappearing. So the 
um, borderline personality is stigmatized as the crazy girlfriend because you have such deep-rooted abandonment issues that you react like you're a toddler because that's the way that's where it's rooted and people don't want to see that they want to see oh i tried to break up with my girlfriend and she threw keys at me she did this i've never done any of that usually i just sit and cry it's it's that kind of a thing it's like um you adjust your personality this sounds so bad because it's so stigmatized you adjust your personality to get people to stay so if someone tries to leave you it's like what's wrong with me i've done everything to please you what's wrong with me that's usually how it goes you know everyone feels pain on many different levels but for people with borderline it's way worse it's the end of the world if someone leaves you it's awful whether it's friends you're trying to leave a job any kind of change in your life affects you to your very core and um so there's like nine things you have to have to be diagnosed as a borderline one of it is like um thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself um that's one of them there's actions that go along with it too just in terms of thoughts there's unstable relationships if your relationships are always unstable and the other one is you have a hard time regulating your emotions there's all nine but i don't remember all nine but you need to have five of the nine to be diagnosed but the most common ones are suicide or self-harm actions or thoughts and irregular emotions up and down and it goes hand in hand with bipolar but the difference is bipolar can go weeks at a time you know or days you can have like three good days three bad days for people with borderline it's all in one day you can start your day here but end your day at the very bottom lowest of the low and it's hard because there's no medicine to treat borderline it's just therapy and therapy and how are you supposed to get therapy if therapists won't see you and that's like really, really tough, especially, you know, I mean, I love my therapist. She's awesome. She's very good at being like, you have to see the logic behind things. She she tells me every time I meet with her once a week, she says, every day you need to say five truths. And truths are things you can see and feel. So for me, it's like my boyfriend will never leave me because we have an apartment together. We have matching tattoos. You know, we share a car. There's so many things. And it, and it really helps me like calm down because if I'm feeling particularly abandoned, even though there's nothing that will cause it, I can say five truths and truths are truths I can see and feel. And um, a lot of borderline people have made up scenarios and the made up scenarios end up becoming true to you. So it's like my thoughts can wander, you know, everybody daydreams, but you know, at the end of the day, it's a daydream for people with borderline. It, you confuse it with the truth. And that's really, that's why my therapist is like, you have to say five truths. You need to rewire your brain. You need to be five positive things. And that can be true for any mental illness. Just give yourself five positive things. And that's what sucks about um, being so stigmatized is because I can't control it. There's nothing I can do about it. All you can do. And, you know, my godmother said this to me. You know, she suggested it to my boyfriend when we met. She was like, if she she's feeling that way, you can't get upset. You just have to hold her tighter and say, it's all going to be okay. I'm not leaving. Because that's really all people with borderline need is a hug and validation. That's it. A hug. You know, you have to kind of remember it's not them. You are not your mental illness. My, We had a book growing up saying you are not your thoughts. Because that's true. If your thoughts are saying one thing, that's not who you are. It's just that little voice in your head that's like, mm, 
I like to think of my mental illnesses as little black dot. And sometimes the little black dot will be very small and it'll come in and I can push it away. But sometimes it's a boulder and it hits you straight on. And I think, and some people's rocks are bigger. Some people's black dots are smaller, but they're still there. And you can't Mm -hmm. brush it aside. You have to address it and learn to cope with it. You know, you, it is a part of you, but it's not you. It's like if you have a cold, you know, you can't really take the cold out of you, but you can manage the symptoms. And that's all mental illness is, is acceptance and then managing the symptoms. Like for me, I had the hardest time, like kind of dealing with having a personality disorder because it's like, that's me. That's my core. That's who I am. And a lot of people feel that way. And it usually makes things worse. It's like, I have anxiety. I have depression. Like what's wrong with me? And it's like, no, you're allowed, you're allowed to feel your feelings. And I think that's what the big stigma is about. And it's like, we come from a society where it's like, no, you have to put on a face. If you're going through something, forget about it. And we need to kind of, yeah, don't talk about it. Right. And we need to kind of like stray away from that because you know, the suicide rates, especially during COVID have increased. I think they said by like 75% because people are alone now. They they can't go out. They can't see their friends. You know, I I teach students online and to see them from when they come in. And I'm sure you agree too, from seeing them in person to online is the Mm -hmm. saddest thing. Their heart's not in it. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, what, what, what can we do to, keep our mental health up. Like me and my boyfriend on Sundays, we do foot masks. We do face masks. We do like little self-care things. You know, he'll paint my nails and we'll just kind of hang out and just watch a happy movie. Usually it's Disney and that's what we do. Usually just one day a week. And there's actually, my mom was talking to me about this, my adoptive mom. And if you've seen Frozen 2, if you haven't seen Frozen 2, you need to watch it. I love Frozen more than I care to admit, but Anna in Frozen 2 has a song called The Next Right Thing because, spoiler alert, Elsa disappears. You know, she's kind of going through it and turns out Kristen Bell has a lot of mental health issues and she's been really good about speaking out about it. And she says that that song helps her every day because when she feels like she can't get out of bed, when she feels like she's a failure as a mother, what does she have to do? the next right thing. And that's something that really resonates with me because if I'm feeling bad, I don't want to overexert myself. What's the next right thing to do? Wash a dish. That's okay. Wash one dish. What's the next right thing? Do a load of laundry. Okay. You want to feel sad and lay on the couch? That's fine. What's the next right thing to do? And I think that's a really good takeaway is what's the next right thing? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love like all of what you just said. You just like gave a lot there. Um, that's like hard to reflect on all of it, but so true. And I think this will resonate for a lot of my listeners, not just not just me sitting here. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, this is great. But also for people out there listening, like I think they're going to relate to this. And and I want to know like how you just said on on Sundays you like to to do like a little bit of self care. But like, what about during the week? What about when you don't have like a whole day off and we don't even have whole days off? Let's be real. Um, We teach and we do other things. Um, I know you have a similar schedule to me, but you know, what do you do when you don't have the luxury of, 
of taking taking that time and doing self-care. Do you have other other tips and tricks that you do? So what my therapist kind of has told me to do, if it if the thoughts start coming, um, she calls them intrusive thoughts, where it's like things that automatically want to flip the switch to make you sad. She's like, distract yourself. Wash. A, and I learned this in a couple therapy things that I've done because I've had a bunch of therapists through the years. And it's like, wash a dish and fo- it's called grounding. Focus on washing the dish. What does it smell like? What does it feel like to hold this dish? Or if you're teaching, like for me, I teach piano and voice. What is how are they hitting the keys? Does the key feel hard? Does it feel like they're being soft? You know, bring yourself to the present moment and it kind of distracts your brain because now you have to focus really, really hard or especially with singing, you know, what does her voice sound like? What color does it remind you of? And then it kind of like lets you chill out a little bit. But for me, if I have a particularly stressful lesson, what I like to do if, if I have a few minutes is I'll listen to music, any kind of music, any kind of song, and I'll focus on what's what's the song saying, what's the bass doing, what's the guitar doing, what's this doing. But for people who don't really listen to music, I would suggest I got into makeup actually when I was going through one of the worst points. You know, I had facial surgery. I was I was on a liquid diet for eight weeks. I really got into makeup and art. And I think art's good too. So you can always, if you have a job where you can just doodle a little bit, that's good too. Anything to distract your brain. Because all of us are very intelligent. We're all able to turn our brain off in a sense. So you just have to find out what works for you. For me, it's listening to music or doing my makeup. If I'm having a bad day, I don't care how my makeup comes out. It's just the process of, okay, eyes, eyebrows, face, good to go. And usually I can feel better and I'll put like a TV show on, but you know, there's also unhealthy coping mechanisms like food. You know, if you're feeling bad, food should not be the first thing you do. Sometimes it it is comforting, but you have to think of your health first or there's self-harm. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't realize is self-harm, like um, spending. That's a big thing with people with bipolar is if they're feeling particularly extra happy, they'll buy things or on the opposite end of the spectrum, they're feeling really bad. Oh, I'll buy this. It'll make me feel better. Mm-hmm. I ha- can't tell you, I had to give away my debit card to my mom during the pandemic because Amazon Prime was my best friend. And this obviously isn't a sign like, oh, if you spend too much money, you have bipolar. No, 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 no. That's not how that <laughs> But it's just way people it's just the way people cope and there's good coping mechanisms and there's bad. It's, it's hard to cope because it has to be extreme for it to be considered a mental illness. Mm-hmm. So like if you're sad, you should treat yourself, get yourself an ice cream, but do it in moderation. Mm-hmm. You can't be like, I'm going to buy seven gallons of ice cream and I'll be happy. It's like, no, buy yourself an ice cream cone, you know, get yourself Starbucks, start, get yourself one thing from Starbucks because Starbucks is expensive. Oh, I know. So that's, oh my gosh, I love Starbucks. <laughs> but yeah, it's those little kind of things. So um, I teach in person once a week um socially distance you know we have our own room with the piano six feet apart masks and at the i'm there for like five hours and it is tiring one student after the next after the next with only like 10 minutes to sanitize in between 
but when I'm sanitizing, I'm, I don't have time to decompress. So driving in the car is the best thing. Singing, my therapist said, is the best therapy for you because you can't think if you're singing. I don't know why, but you can't really think when you sing. You gotta focus on what you're singing. Yeah, exactly. Because you're so focused on words and and so much can't really zone out thinking. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I love all of those uh, ideas that you just threw out. And I want to throw out a few more resources for people um, just from my own experience. And Lizzie can chime in with some of her um, other other resources that she may not have already said. Um But therapy is obviously a great option for people, even if you don't have a mental illness, like anyone can benefit from therapy. And I think that's a stigma we need to lose. Like therapy doesn't mean you have a problem. Okay. Like, um, everyone can benefit. I'm not currently in therapy, but, um, but I could do that if I wanted to. And, um, I wouldn't be afraid to, to try it. And I think that it's a really good option for people. Um, another good thing to do would be to journal. If if you like writing, if that's therapeutic for you, journal. There's different kinds. I mean, I just write stuff like random stories in a random journal, like with no prompts or anything. But there are really great journals out there for like gratitude. There are journals for mental illness specifically. There's so many different kinds of journals. Um, and I think writing, just like art can be therapeutic. I think writing can also be therapeutic. Yeah, I found um I found a journal at TJ Maxx for four dollars and it's my best friend. It's called the self-care journal. And each day is it toggles between two. So one of them is circle your fearing feelings, creative space, things to do, top priorities. And the other page is like um name five things you're grateful for and five goals for today. And then it does a brief check-in. Like, um, how are you feeling today? If you could rate X, Y, and Z. And that's just how it is. And I try and do it every morning before I start the day. So I have, I start the day on a good note and feeling accomplished. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Um, Another thing that could be helpful is meditation. And this is something that I'm not so into. I I don't really love meditation, but I have this, um, this thing I got for Christmas. It's called the Hatch. It's called the Hatch Restore. And it's sitting right next to me. I have it next to my bed. And it is a an alarm clock. And also it has a light feature. And it has a like a reading light. And also a meditation uh, feature to it. And it basically you can go through different meditations for whatever you need. So I do one every night before I go to bed. But there's also different ones you can do to wake up and start your day on a positive note. And I think it's actually made me sleep better because I tend to be a little anxious before I go to bed. So if I put on this like meditation, it's like five minutes, but there's different ones. So I choose however long I want to do. You could do a whole half hour if you want, but, um, you know, it helps you kind of clear your mind. So something like that is really good for mental health, like anxiety, particularly. And then in terms of like other resources, I was trying to think of like books that might be helpful. I am no expert, as I've already said, but I read this book called When Things Fall Apart, Heart Advice for Difficult Times, and I don't want to butcher this author's name. Her name is Pema, Pima, I don't know. Um, But anyways, it's a really great book, and she is a, 
I want to say a Buddhist nun. Yes, she's a Buddhist nun. Um, but the book isn't necessarily like religious. It's more spiritual and just like peaceful. And it talks about like different mechanisms that you can try to uh, cope with with hard times. So highly recommend this book. I have other books too that are like um, more like self-help, but not really self-help. It's kind of more uh, like empowering sorts of books. There's one by Glennon Doyle called Untamed. That one's good. Um, just a lot of things like that I recommend. Um, and then I know Lizzie had found some Instagram accounts that she follows that are helpful. Yeah, I love these Instagram accounts. So one of them is called DLC Anxiety Worldwide. And a lot of the stuff is like um, five behaviors that transformed my life. Signs you probably need a break. How to handle a friend when they're having an anxiety attack. And they're really good about breaking down because a lot of people see mental illness, but they don't understand the why. Like there was a movie I just watched yesterday called Orphan. And I had never seen it before. And it's about this girl who pretends to be nine years old but she's actually 33 and they talked about how you know disturbed children and the first thing to pop up was borderline personality disorder you know disruptive kids and it's like people see that and they're like oh no but we need to think about the why why are they like this what can we do to help and it's awful because all horror movies are all mental health based and that's not what mental health is Mm -hmm. obviously you have the people who And obviously, I'm not sympathizing with, like, murderers or anything like that. But we need to understand the why they are the way that they are. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? How did this come from? But another – this one's actually my favorite Instagram account that I follow based on mental health. And it's called The Depression Project. And all of their posts are stuff like what someone with a mental illness – really means when they say I'm busy the impact of anxiety at bedtime 15 reasons people self-harm gaslighting sounds like what gaslighting sounds like parenting edition relationship edition friendship edition you know rules for loving someone with uh, depression and anxiety rules for loving somebody with a personality disorder and they really just kind of these little blurbs on my Instagram page that's like And I try and share every single one because it's like people don't really want to think about that. And a lot of them are easy things you can do. If your friend is saying they're busy all the time, just give them a check-in. If you don't know how to handle mental health, all you have to say is, hey, I love you. I hope you're doing okay. I miss you. You know, whenever you're ready, let's hang out. Just know that I care. And that's like what a lot of people just want to hear. And then the other one I follow is a psychologist. Her name is Dr. Marielle Bouquet, and she kind of talks about trauma. That's her main thing, is how to deal with trauma and how to deal with people with trauma, whether it's PTSD, um, something from a bad relationship, and just general anxiety and depression, how to deal with it, how to deal with people like that. And those are my top three or four Instagram accounts. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. Um, when you said the se- the second one you talked about, um, like checking in with your friends, I think that's amazing. Like whether you are the one with the mental illness or you're the one supporting someone, I think we need to talk about the people supporting the people with mental illness because, you know, what do you do? Like what, how do you handle being friends with someone? Like you might be impatient. You might be like, I don't understand. I don't have this issue. So I don't see why you are this way. So like figuring out why people are the way they are is really important. Um, and checking in with your friends, 
always a good idea, even if it's just like, how are you doing? I hope all is well. I mean, it can be so simple. It doesn't have to be anything huge because um, we also don't know what everyone's going through, like mental illness or not. Like we don't know what each other has going on in our lives that might be private. So always good to check in. Um, some last suggestions that I have, um, just communicate with your friends and family. Um, again, this goes along with like supporting people, just like check in with your friends and family. Um, in terms of like your own mental health, some things personally that I've found that work are limiting social media if possible. So maybe taking a day away from social media, that's helpful for me. Um, prioritize yourself. So you don't have to say yes to everything. I promise you. Um, sometimes you have to say no and that's hard, but you have to prioritize you and, uh, you know, mental illness or not. That's just an important thing. And don't neglect basic necessities. So yes, you do need to eat. You do need to shower, work out, find time to relax. Like it's hard to find that balance. But again, take time for you. Focus on what you need. Um, Taking a shower is not self-care. That's just like a basic necessity. So, you know, do those things and don't feel guilty about, about having to take time for yourself. So that's my last advice. Um, and it's just been awesome having you on the podcast, Lizzie. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. You've shared so many words of wisdom. Like this is really, really helpful for me and probably for my listeners. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you all for listening. And remember that you're don't judge your own thoughts. If something, a wave of something comes in, try not to judge. Try not to try to just treat the symptoms. That's that's what I want kind of your listeners to take away because that's the biggest takeaway that I've had with my journey. So yeah, happy to be here. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and see you all next week.